Hello and welcome to the first ever Instant Junk podcast. I'm Sam. And I'm Jill. And this week we'll be looking at Hearts Beat Loud, Nick Offerman's latest offering. We'll also be looking at the Netflix original movie How It Ends, starring Forrest Whitaker. And we'll be looking back at the Arnie classic Predator to see if it actually does have reviews it got. It's a love song. No, it's not. I think your lyrics would disagree with you, my dear. Our cinema release this episode is Hearts Beat Loud, directed by Brett Haley, starring Nick Offerman and Kiersey Clemens as a father and daughter who are facing changes in their immediate life. Sam, played by Clemens, is nearly ready to go to college, and Frank, played by Offerman, is her dreamer father who is struggling to keep afloat. The film itself is centred around the final few days before Sam goes off to college. Where do we start with this? I guess the characters. They're, they're quite interesting. There's a lot of background, I think, has mm. been created for them. Yeah. I, these are very rich characters that you're dealing with. I mean, I guess, as, as most... I mean, this is, this is quite an indie film, and mm. I think one of the, the staples of an indie film is it's, it's mostly character-based. Mm. And this, does, this doesn't buck the trend. No. Not at all. Uh, I mean, you've got Nick Offerman playing, I think, a very different role than what most people would probably expect him to play. Mm. Um, in this role, he's, you know, a caring father mm. who's trying to do his best, but at the same time, his head's in the sky, dreaming about his past life. Yeah. And his deceased wife, daughter, um, mother um, to his daughter, Sam. And... It kind of centres around him learning to let go mm. and learning to allow his daughter to, to grow up and to be an adult. Yeah. I think the key thing about this film is the fact that the father cannot let go of the daughter. There is definitely... that He's losing everything. He's losing his business. He's losing his daughter. He's already lost his wife. There's no, There'll be nothing for him. And... It's kind of sad that the way he's trying to keep her is to keep a dream alive, his dream. And that's the thread of the whole f film, really, about how he wants his dream to be alive. Yeah, I mean, his dream is... To be a rock star. To be a rock star. It, it's, it's clear during the film that he had dalliances with being a rock star. Mm. Uh, he's got an LP, I think, that comes up at one point. Uh, Frank Fish, I think he called oh himself, God. maybe. And his bandmate, played by Ted Danson, owns the bar that he, he frequents. Mm. And he has his little record store, and it's clear that he he misses it. I mean, there's a key scene towards the beginning of the film where his daughter, who's an aspiring doctor, is trying to do some... Research. Yeah, and he comes in, he basically wants to do their jam session, which you can expect is probably something that he has on a maybe a weekly occurrence, and mm. she doesn't really want to do it. In the end, she does, and they come up with this really beautiful song. And he, you know, I think that was probably one of the truest points where he seemed to be happy, mm. was when he was playing music with his daughter. And she has got great talent. Yeah. Um, but it's a case of, I suppose, him trying to work out and trying to understand that that's not the route she wants to take. Yeah. And it's also, it, what he does after that is actually quite bad because she's got no intentions of being in a band with her dad. You name me one child who ever wants to be in a band with their parents. It, it never works out right. You ask the Jacksons. 
but the what he goes off and does is they there's this beautiful song written they perform it they mix it it's all good to go in a night so what he goes and does is even after she said no we're not a band he goes and bloody uplifts it to spotify without her permission even though she did most of the writing for it he just goes off and releases it and it becomes a viral hit and of course his reaction is oh my god we've we've got a viral hit song oh look aren't we amazing and just completely runs with it even though his daughter is like i don't want this and that is basically the thread that runs through the film he has this pie in the sky dream of you know being a rock star and having his daughter next to him to in order to relive his past where his daughter just wants to look to the future where she can be successful in her own right and you know all throughout the film you see you know his daughter just having this life just before she goes off to college i believe she's going to ucla yep and she's going and she's having a life she has a girlfriend rose Mm -hmm. and you know she's you know grabbing life by the balls before she goes and in the background is her dad going look at this song we got we got to do more we got to do more and it's i love nick hoffman but my god his character is a dick in this yeah i think the the growth though i think that both characters learn was quite it, it's not significant as such, but it is there um, towards the end of the film. They both kind of come to a realisation, and you kind of come to a realisation that she herself is scared. She doesn't really know what she wants to do. She mm-hmm. wants to be a doctor, and at one point, you know, she's she's made this relationship with Rose, and she doesn't want to leave her, mm-hmm. and she asks her dad for advice, and it seems mm-hmm. to be the first time she does that. Mm-hmm. And it seems to be the first time she's done that, and she takes it. Mm-hmm. It's also the fact that all throughout the film, you get the impression that the roles are reversed in She's this... She's the adult. Yeah. yeah. The, the roles are very reversed in this parental relationship, which, again, is kind of sad because, again, he's got this pie-in-the-sky dream, but he's not really being a dad-dad to her. He's he's not there for advice. He's You know, he wants to have fun yeah and sometimes especially if you're a single parent you do need to be a parent yeah Uh, you know it's his his character is quite tragic as well in that his record store you find is isn't very successful mostly because he's a bit of a dick to Mm. the people that come in it's kind of like a, a future take on high fidelity so it's kind of as if it's John Cusack's character in the future after being married with a child still owning his record store um, without Jack Black coming in and creating havoc and realising that actually this isn't making money. This is the modern world. And even at one point when he's rude to a customer, the customer walks out of the shop and then comes back in and says, I've just bought this record. Cheaper. Yeah, cheaper on eBay. And then wanders off. And... You know, at that point, you think, okay, so this is about a guy who's stuck in the past and he has to come back into the real world. Mm. So he goes to his landlady and, you know, basically says, the shop's shutting down, I can't afford the rent, I'm not making money. But then the relationship between him and the landlady, I thought, was quite weird. Yeah, it's, she's, obviously she comes in, she's the landlady, and also one of his best customers, which is, you know, a really weird way of spending the rent money he's giving you. 
The landlady's played by Tony Collette, may I add as well, who actually is really, really good in this film. Yes. Then, obviously, she gives him a thank you dinner, which, again, is really weird for a landlady to do for a tenant. And then she randomly kisses him, and then it just goes bloody weird. Oh, it's clear to everyone watching the film that uh, Nick's character has some form of feelings towards the landlady. But unfortunately, you're confused to whether or not she has feelings mm. towards him. Uh, she does have a younger guy yeah. on the scene as well. And after the kiss and they go to a bar, the younger guy walks in and it's very awkward. It's awkward for you as well, which is actually quite a nice feeling. Mm. Um, but at the same time, you're kind of thinking, well, what was that? Mm. And they they kind of talk about it at points, but they don't actually go into detail. So you you are still left wondering what were her intentions with him. Yeah. Because she moves in to kiss him. It's her work. And yet she has a hot younger guy. So what the fudge is going on there? And then she offers him a business deal. Yeah. Um, to which he declines after a, you know, a, a drunken emotional rant at her door. Yeah. But... Yeah, uh, I mean, Teddy Collette was brilliant at portraying this character, but the character, I think, was left completely ambiguous. Mm. There, there was a lot more that I think we could have got out yeah. to understand their relationship a little bit better. Yeah, we should also mention that Ted Danson's character as well. Why they've got him owning a bar and just kind of... Because it's Cheers. Yeah, it's just... that That's the only thing I could think of. Oh, he, he's just like a stoner version of Sam from Cheers. This is... You could have done a lot more. It's, it's Ted fucking Danson, for Christ's sake. Yeah, I mean, Ted Danson's character was literally there as a sounding piece and as mm. some kind of voice of adult reason yeah. beyond the daughter. But at the same time, his, it, you didn't need Ted Danson in this film. No, or if you was going to have Ted Danson, have him a bit more in it. He was... He was wasted. Yeah. Absolutely um, wasted in the film. And that's a damn shame. Yeah, he did bring the comic relief. It would have been nice to have a little bit more comic relief. Mm. The, the the film was light, but it wasn't... It it was light with a hint of sadness and darkness. There was no standout laugh-out-loud moments. There were no standout giggling moments. It mm. was very much a... I mean, we watched this in the cinema, and it was very much a quiet cinema, give or take. But... Yeah, I think it could have done with a little bit more humour, mm. a little bit more using Ted Danson to, you know, a, a little bit more, and even Nick Offerman yeah. to a bit more potential. Yeah, it's, it is quite a depressive subject, you know, it is about life changes and not for the better for Nick Offerman's character. So we've got the whole, you know, irreversible changes. You know, his daughter will be going to better herself and will not be back as the same person. His pipeline dream that he's had from since he was with his daughter's mother is basically just slowly but surely pissing away. And, you know, that 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 is the dark kind of vibe going throughout the kind of undertow, that, you know, things will change forever, and it's how you adapt to those changes. And at first, he does not adapt that well he's more denial man than acceptance mm, man right. and then as we travel through he's starting to realize where his daughter's coming from and then they kind of just mesh together at the end for the final day of the record store where 
they hold this kind of beautiful father and daughter gig and it's actually the point where I actually smiled and felt a bit you know what this is this is actually needed why couldn't they do something like this sooner yeah but obviously the shop wasn't shut and then so it would have been a bit impossible but there was just you know it showcased the girl's talents as well she's a beautiful singer and it just kind of got you right in the feels was Nick Offerman actually playing the he guitar he was actually playing the guitar and He's if he wasn't fucking good <laughs> I, I refuse to believe he wasn't yeah um, they were they did they did um do original songs as well which was quite mm. nice but it was i did find it a little bit i don't know trite because it kept they kept referring back to a lot of indie bands i mean mm. i know yeah he owns a record so yeah he's into music but after a while you just think stop talking about animal collective yeah. I don't care. And you do find yourself also staring at all the albums in the background. Oh, God, you do play. <laughs> Name that vinyl. Yeah. Because um, I remember the beginning of the film, I went, that's an Iron Maiden record. Oh, look at that. I think that's Killers. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like, that kind of distracted me from the film a little bit. But that says more about me than it does the film, to be fair. But I do recommend looking in the background. It is quite fun. So overall, what did you think? I think it's a nice watch. I don't know if I would pay for it again at the cinema. I think it's definitely a TV film. Wait for it to come out streaming. Wait mm. for it to come out on terrestrial. Um, you'll definitely probably enjoy it a lot more. Mm. It's it's not so visually appealing in a cinema, I don't think. I think you would get the same joy out of it as you would watching it at home. Yeah. it's. I'm glad I saw the film. I I'm one of these people, I like my blood and guts and gore films, so I'm very much... These films kind of, I'm not sure about this, but I actually went in and enjoyed it, and I even tolerated the rudest mouth breather I've ever encountered in my life. He was so loud. It was... he, He just ruined everything. I thought he was dead at one point. But no, it's... I came out of it glad that I saw it. I think Nick Offerman... Casey Clevens was good. I've not seen her in anything before, and I thought, you know, she she's going to go places she's, if she hasn't she's got already. Amazing fucking pipes on her. It, her voice is just beautiful. It's you never know. The song might go viral itself. No, don't. <laughs> <laughs> and again, Tony Collette was just amazing in this. It's just a shame she didn't have much more to do. Yeah. Overall, I think I agree with you on this one. It's probably not a cinema film. It's definitely one that you watch after a day at work and just want to chill. Yeah. So go see Hearts Beat Loud. In the cinema if you want, but stream is totally fine too. Yeah. And for our next episode, the cinema review will be The Meg, starring Jason Statham. You all right? Yeah. We've got months to get ready. Yeah. I'm not worried about that. Good. Then you shouldn't worry about tonight either. Right. He's asking Tom Sullivan for his daughter's hands when they walk in the park. <laughs> Would you rather tell him I'm pregnant? Funny. It's gonna be alright. Yeah. Our streaming review this episode is How It Ends, which is a Netflix original directed by David M. Rosenthal, starring Theo James and Forrest Whitaker. The film itself is about a young couple who are separated by a disaster and the young guy has to make his way across America with her father in order to save her. Where do we begin with this? Um, At the end, preferably. Yes. 
The film itself starts at a really random place. We witness the young couple having a ultrasound and also finding out it's a boy. So we're literally jumping in with these guys just really at the... Sort of straight into it, really, mm. aren't we? I mean, literally, we're meeting Will and Samantha at probably the most important time of their life. And it's like we get no introduction, really. It's kind of an expectation that we should understand from the small bit of information that we're given. Yeah. What their relationship and what they're about. Yeah. I mean, we don't even know how long they've been together until much later. We just know they're having a kid. It's so we can try and get emotional investment no. soon. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Obviously, uh, with a bun in the oven, Will wants to go ask for a hand in marriage to her father, who we find out that there may be some tension there over a boat. At this point, we don't know what's happened with the boat. All we know is there's a boat that belonged to her dad. Something happened to the boat. The dad's pissed. He's told not to mention the boat. That's how they kind of separate while he goes off to Chicago. It was a bit of a lackadaisical conversation. If you're not really paying attention to what's being said in the opening credits, you kind of lose a little bit of the information that you kind of need for later. Yeah. But the delivery was just so boring. Um, You you kind of don't realise that you're being fed information until much later where you go, oh, okay. That makes sense now. Yeah, and it's just the fact that it's just a boat. We don't know what kind of boat. We don't know what happened to the boat. It's just a boat. A boat that something has happened to and has pissed off Sam's dad, Tom. That is all we know at this point. And to be frankly, it's not helping us care. Yeah, no. It's just literally two people with a bun in the oven who've got issues over a boat. (laughs) Obviously, we'll leave Samantha in... Seattle. Seattle to travel to Chicago to ask for this beautiful woman's hand in marriage to her father who doesn't like him all that much. Um, the minute he walks into this guy's penthouse in Chicago, but yeah, the minute poor Will walks in, he's basically told, oh, by the way, you could go help my wife in the kitchen. That's how much love there is between a father and potential son-in-law um <laughs> it's um it's like two icebergs clucking heads yes it's it's, it's a, i think they tried to make it a little bit tense it's not really tense it's just you're very very aware that they, they don't like each other no and obviously he goes to, uh, he's told to go help the missus in the kitchen the missus tells him to bugger off and go relax and, of course, he goes into the living room and what does he clock? A fucking boat. He mentions the boat. He, there's this little boat kind of statuesque thing. And you're like, don't go to the boat. And he goes to the fucking boat. And more tension. Because, you know what, as if that room needed any more fucking tension. <laughs> what follows is quite possibly the worst dinner ever. Yeah, they start talking about... I don't even remember... But either way, it riles up um, Tom, um, and then Will retaliates, yeah, um, and is led out by the mother, yeah, to which he goes back to his hotel room and presumably gets absolutely fucking rat ass because the next morning he wakes up late and almost misses his flight. Indeed, and 
of course, this is where shit hits the fan because... He was on a FaceTime call with Sam, um, to which he hears noises in the background and he's, you know, oh, what's that noise? And I must say, the noises didn't sound particularly no, very were... realistic for whatever it was that was meant yeah, to be happening. Yeah, it was like... Yeah. Either way, he loses connection, panics, runs to the airport, to which all the flights are cancelled. Mm. Uh, you see them all being ticked off and being cancelled. They, it, the news networks don't really know what's going on and eventually you lose signal in both mm. television and internet. Mm. Which caused a lot of phone shaking. There's a, there was a very strange man in the background shaking the phone. If you do <laughs> see it, there's a man shaking the phone in the background of one of the first scenes. Have a look for him. And of course, Will's first reaction is, I really should go to Sam's parents and see what's going on because of course they're going to have more information than the down news. What do you think so? I mean, if we've learned anything from films, it's ex-military personnel always have intel. Mm. Unfortunately, in this film, that's not the case. So Tom, the father, is seen packing a bag for the flares and torches and a gun. Mm. Oh, actually, tell a lie, you don't know he's got a gun at this point. And, you know, it's, it's reasoned that he's going to get to Sam. So he's going to send his wife off to stay with Steve, whoever Steve may be, and he's going to, indeed, he's going to take his car across America to go and get his daughter, um, to which he kind of forces Will into, I'm sure Will would have gone out of his own accord, but it's a lot of guilt tripping there. Mm. Anyway, they get into, what car was it, Sam? It was a Cadillac. I wasn't aware. <laughs> <laughs> they do a lot of advertising for this Cadillac. It is like a very, very long f- car advert. Yeah. it's. Um, they get into this guy's obviously prized Cadillac and set off towards the journey towards Seattle in this maybe post-apocalyptic world. No one knows. It's uh, you, you have no clue what's going on. You just know that something's happened in Seattle and the news has gone. So basically you have this road trip with two people who don't like each other. It was just some really random events thrown into the mix. I mean, the first gas station they go to, um, they meet this gang who basically tries to honey trap Will, which then turns out that when Tom comes in, he's like, oh, I've got money, I've got money, it's in my trunk. And then he pulls out a, a, randomly a fucking gun. It's like, well, why have you got it in the back of your car that's beside the point <laughs> random shit happens in this film that you just go well what the fuck is going on now? you do spend most of your life questioning what you've just seen and heard rather than actually enjoying the film yeah it's one of those films that you just in between the tracking shots of the open road in this big ass Cadillac you know there's little random events that go in that's meant to make you oh my god these people are in danger and actually they're not it's, it's all very blasé isn't it yeah it's very i mean much, oh. there's a there's a point where um they pass a prison and randomly get a police car um blues and twos going and then you know forrest whitaker instantly clocks that that's not a police officer that must be an escaped convict and, you know, they get away and the escaped convict tracks them and then there's a fight. Tom's rib gets broken and then, you know, obviously he 
I think he kills the convict, doesn't he? He, he at least punches him half to death anyway. Yeah. But um, obviously, you know, they they have a more fuel-efficient motor at their disposal. <laughs> do they take it? Do they fuck? Well, they do. They take it to tow the prize Cadillac oh, yeah. to the the place that looked like uh, looked like a garage. I don't think they knew it was a garage. It yeah. just kind of went, that looks like a big shed. Maybe they can fix my car. Yeah. It turned out to be an Indian reservation, wasn't it? Yep. Yeah, and um, yeah, it, uh, and this is where they pick up the next character, Ricky. Ricky, who ends up coming along for the ride. We so don't really know much about Ricky. We know that she's a, a First mechanic. Nation person who happens to possibly be a mechanic. Yeah. Um, and people in the reservation aren't very happy with her. Yeah. So, so when they leave, they don't really seem to yeah. care. I mean, she's hired by Forrest Whitaker's character as a mechanic. So I'm just going to say she's a mechanic, just to give her a bit of substance, really. Well, someone needs to. I think overall, didn't. <laughs> overall though, overall her character. So uh, her character was played by is it Grace Dove? I believe so. And you know, overall the character, I think if they'd paid a bit more attention to her, they could have fleshed her out a little bit more. Because mm. it was quite interesting mm. if you thought about it, because you know she's Native American who. You know, has this, you know, she's doing a job which by some, you know, people think it's a male job. Mm. You know, she's trying to break out of the reservation. And then she's got Forrest Whitaker in her ear basically berating her mm. the whole time. And they just never build on it. They no. don't build on any of it. And no. I think that's a bit of a shame because she was quite good, actually. Yeah. I mean, she was the only useful person there. I mean... Well, no, neither of the other. Forrest Whitaker was quite useful. I mean, his, his time in... The Marines allowed him to negotiate yeah. and to wield a handgun yeah. and to also have second sight on whether or not someone is a policeman. So mm. those are I useful mean, skills. Pretty, he was pretty much screwed when he got his rib busted up, though. <laughs> Let's be honest. It was that minute he busted up his rib, it's like, oh, that's, that's your clock ticking down, boy. And th- that's the horrible thing. The minute you saw that come in, it was like, oh, God one decent thing in this film and you've already put a timer on him jesus <laughs> um if you haven't quite caught yet this film is very by the numbers every cliche ticked every it's like this guy got a handbook of how to write a run-of-the-mill film and went yep 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 put that in it's for a two-hour film not much happens i think it's quite a confused film because mm. It's, it's classed as an action, mm. but it's slightly more dramatic. Yeah. It's it's somewhere between wanting to be an action film, but there isn't actually that much action, mm. and wanting to be a hardcore family drama. I think if you took out whatever the disaster was that happened, it would just be a road trip yeah. between two people that don't like each other. And in, mm. in that, you can stick that into a comedy, and then you've got something like, I don't know, road trip. Yeah. Um... I mean, this is the, this is what it essentially was. It was a road trip between two people who hated each other, and then kind of grew to like each other randomly because there's not much interaction between the two. So you're not getting how this relationship is blossoming, but it is blossoming. It's it's a it's just two hours of tracking shots and and it's some dialogue. You and know, the dialogue wasn't that very. No, bad. the script wasn't very good at all i mean there were characters that popped in and out mm. that you didn't really have any idea yeah 
what their relevance was, why they yeah, needed to be I there. Mean, it's just, you know, Ricky, she was brought in, you know, they go to her, they bring her into the fold because she can fix up cars. So she's useful. But there's a, a point at the film where um, they basically get fooled into a situation. Um, a woman's at the side of a road going, oh, help me, help me. And her husband's around the corner with a shotgun. And, you know, he's scavenging for fuel, which they have. So the couple steals the guy's fuel. And then there's this weird kind of drag race in order to get this fuel back. And they make Ricky shoot out the tyres, which ultimately kills this couple and she really cannot handle this she she didn't sign up for this at all and they kind of said no you have to do this and she has a proper little freak out and she walks off and this is the one bit i remember because i would just thought how fucking ridiculous it was you know forest goes give her time give her time give her a few minutes they both fall asleep they wake up the next day and she is gone. She's walked off somewhere. And that's the last we see of her. That's how much stock and value was put into that character. The fact that she could just walk off. You know, there's not even this try reconciliation. So, you know, there's first bit goes, no, you saved us, you saved us. And it's like, yeah, you saved her by making her kill people. That's, that's the problem she's having. She's killed someone she didn't want to. But at no point did anyone sit down with her and, and just say, look, this... We did what we had to do. If we hadn't got our fuel back, we would have been done for. But I think that, you know, that it was lazy writing mm. from whoever wrote the characters because it's very clear from the outset that the two characters that you're being forced to follow, give a shit about, listen to, is the character of Will and the character of Tom, the boyfriend and the father. And those are the two people that you're forced to go on this journey with that mm. you don't want to go on. And they bundle people up or they meet people along the way. Mm. And these people are all dispensable. They mm. they use them up and they chuck them away for nothing. Mm. I don't think on purpose necessarily, but I think the writer kind of just went, oh, it can't just be some weird buddy film yeah. across an apocalypse or whatever it was. And we'll come to that later. Um, so let's just add in some additional characters mostly these characters are female characters yeah and not very strong ones either no it's... they don't really do anything I mean even the, the character of the daughter mm. doesn't I mean the daughter again is interchangeable yeah I mean she's in it for the first couple of minutes to get a belly scan for a baby then she's on FaceTime and then you meet up with her a an bit hour and later. a half later yeah and altogether, she's on screen for like 25 minutes, I think. If that. Same with the mother, same with Ricky. Ricky didn't actually have that long. I think all in, Ricky must have been on there for about half an hour. I'd say 45 minutes, but that's me being really generous and hopeful. <laughs> um, and then there's random woman in house who, who just freaks out. Uh, I think she was a friend of Will's and her family have been taken or killed. Mm. It was to me it was quite vague, um, but I think that's probably because I was starting to lose interest. Yeah, I mean to be fair, by it's a two-hour film, but it took me three and a half hours to get to the end of it because I had to keep stopping it and walking off because I could not handle the stupidity. I couldn't handle the lack of direction for any character or plot. I just it was just a fucking mess, and it 
fucks with your head. You just, especially when you realise that this is Forrest fucking Whitaker. What the fuck is he doing in this? He's better than this. Indeed. But it's like the women are... The mothers, like anyone who is about to be a mother or is a mother is given a bit more respect than the other women. All the other women you come... I think you come across six women altogether. Six? God, I must have missed a few. Because um, obviously you've got, you know, uh, Sam's mum. Great respect. Sam herself is giving some respect. Um, you've got the trash hoe in the uh, garage. Oh, oh yeah. Um, you've got the hoodwinker who, who helps nick their gas. Um, Ricky. Yeah, sorry, there must be seven. And then you've got the housewoman family. and then yeah. the mother of the family at the end. Yeah, all of them are just are not given anything. And that's a great shame. It's like literally every woman is less than, apart from Ricky, less than 20 minutes, 25 minutes. And But I think that's just because they were so adamant that you are going to invest in, in Tom and Will in Tom and Will and this relationship that mm. you didn't really give a fuck because you already knew that at some point they're going to reconcile and at some point Tom will die mm. and at some point they'll reach their destination you knew exactly what was going to happen so therefore how can you invest when there's nothing keeping you on your toes yeah i mean it's uh, the whole thing with um Tom, it's just like the minute he got the broken ribs, he starts wincing when he moves, you see bruises around his ribs. And then all of a sudden, he's got a collapsed lung. And you're like, well, this was a bit of a whoa moment. And, you know, that you see him, Will stabbing him in the chest with a, a kind of needle in mm. order to help him breathe. And then he takes it out, which never quite got, because that just means he's got a gaping hole. But you know, Hollywood. Who are we, yeah. But it's obvious at that point that Forrest Whitaker is not going to be on our screens for too much longer. Which is almost a shame because the only reason you don't want him to die is because he's actually a good actor. Yeah. Um, it's not because you give a shit about the character. Yeah. And it's, you know, they're still scavenging for more fuel and they get... Uh, there's a point where they get to this bridge and this is kind of uh, Tom's last stand, should we say. Uh, they get to this bridge and it looks like a cheap knockoff of Mad Max. You know, you've got these little guys on sewing machines on wheels. You've got an APC. You've got people with guns. And it's obvious that this is trouble brewing. Trouble ensues. Um, there's some snazzy car moves in their Cadillac. Um, <laughs> you mustn't forget the Cadillac. Never forget the Cadillac. And basically, Tom's last action is to tell Will, that on his mark, to swerve the car so he can pull off some fancy John Woo gun moves and take out the big APC in a ball of flames. I nearly saw the dove, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> but that's his last move. And, you know, he's quite, his last dying breath is a kind of, I did it. And then he just stacks it. Yeah, he just dies in the back of the car and then Will's like, oh yeah, we've done it. And then there's this sort of tense emotional moment where, you know, they're expecting you to to be teary and to be sad. But it's so hollow because yeah. you don't really care. You just want the film to end. Yeah. Um, in any way, Will continues on the journey with Forrest's body in the back until the Cadillac finally gives Dies. in, um, to which then he cremates 
Tom <laughs> in the back of this car. Um, Wasting precious fuel. Let's not forget no, no, this that's, part. Let's not forget that. And the precious flare as well. Yeah. And yeah, and then he continues on his journey on foot till he's picked up again um, by a family who are in a similar situation. Yeah, they're heading to Canada. He makes them go slightly off course to go to his dad's house. Wherever that is, we yeah. told. Yeah, it's and he basically just does him a deal with like, you know, you've got enough stuff here for about five days. Give me your Jeep. And they stupidly give him the goddamn Jeep. <laughs> So, yeah, he's got a Jeep. He's not that far away from Seattle. So he makes his last run down to Seattle. And he gets there and it's just ashes. It's completely trashed. Um, It's mostly remnants of buildings and cars. And somehow, by the grace of Hollywood, he finds his way to the iron ladder that takes you up the side of an apartment building mm-hmm. he climbs up the apartment building although you can see the fact that the apartment building is, own, half, is gone. half gone gets to his flat it's half gone i'm interested to see how he got down he and there's a sign on the door from his girlfriend t- with an address written in sharpie and he goes to said address where he finds his girlfriend with their neighbor jeremiah Again, who, another character completely unnecessary. Yeah. Uh, he Jeremiah is just basically there to give a bad guy. He's on screen for less than 15 minutes. Yeah. But you pretty much know from the minute he talks to Will that he is the big bad guy who is trying to have some connection with Sam and is possibly going to try and kill Will, which he ultimately does it. Yeah. In the woods. Yeah, very Walking Dead-esque scene as they wander through woods looking for noises of children. They have a really, really terrible standoff. Completely pointless standoff. Mm. And Willis successful, kills Jeremiah. But then somehow, I don't know, again, Hollywood, he senses the call of the wild and that another disaster is looming and does this weird sort of Wolverine-esque sprint through the forest (laughs) to get his girlfriend and put her in this jeep and then they drive off in i mean i I don't even know how to describe the the last scene it's just so bad it is the worst non-ending i have ever seen in my life the cgi was terrible yeah it's basically them outrunning a cloud um at this point you're not entirely sure what the cloud is it looks like It's a massive smokestack engulfing and bearing down on trees, Mm. killing the forest as it goes along. Mm. And they're in this family jeep, or whatever it is, Mm. speeding away from it. Yeah. And it's just, that is how it ends. It's them basically saying, we're going to get through this, we're going to get through this, step on the gas. And they're going, and that's how it ends. And... I'm happy it ends at that point because if I had to take any more, I would have stuck my <laughs> fucking eyeballs out. It was just, I never thought anything could be that bad. I never thought anything could be that fucking boring. And and that's the key thing, it's boring. It is incredible. I mean, I've watched a lot of drivel and boring and terrible films, but they usually have something endearing in them. Yeah. I mean, The English Patient was more bloody God, I can't believe you sat through that. Yeah. But it had more going on than this bloody film did. 
I mean, once Forest Whisker had gone, you kind of I lost definitely hope. lost all reason for caring. Yeah, I lost hope in all honesty, and I was just thinking, just can the world just blow up, <laughs> drop the nuke? I suppose <sighs> for Theo James, I, I've not seen him in anything. Um, I know he was in the Divergent series. He's, I don't think he's quite leading man yet. I wasn't enjoying him. No. He's, he was kind of a generic everyman. You could have put any old mm. face on him and it wouldn't have mattered. Yeah. He, he's not an action star. Um, he didn't really get to do any true action. He no. was a bit shit at shooting. But for someone who had to, you know, was an aspiring lawyer in this film, he wasn't very sure of himself no. at any point. There wasn't any convincing that he'd grown or learned or did anything. And, you know, to try and outact Forrest Whitaker. Yeah. I mean, all of the characters in this were basically Microsoft Word template characters. You could literally put anyone in any of the characters. It yeah. wouldn't have mattered to you. You could have put anyone. Yeah. I mean, Tommy Wiseau could have been bloody Forrest Whitaker in this. Yeah, and it would have been more entertaining if yeah. it was. But th- th- that's how bad it is. They did not write to any of the actors' strengths. They just copied and pasted the most drivelous character brief they could find and say, yep, that's our film. Oh, oh, you want events. All right, well, let's just have this weird kind of explosion bit here and, oh, let's put in a, a weird thing in a, in a water park here. And, you know, it's just really random shitty things that where nothing happens. For a disaster film, there wasn't that many explosions. In two hours, I think there was less than ten. I mean, for a disaster film, you still don't know what the disaster was. It's not like it's Cloverfield. It it, it attempts to be like Cloverfield, but it, it fails ultimately because you just... Don't care. You don't care what it is. You don't know what it is. You're trying to work out what it could be that would make the whole of America go down even though whatever it was happened on the West Coast and he was on the East Coast. It's, it's just pointless drivel. And the mm. poster itself, I mean, the poster is a lie. It makes it look like it's some heavy Denzel Washington-esque action film, yeah. where in fact it is, like we've said before, a road trip. Yeah. And I think the worst thing is this. They've really not captured the spirit of, you know, disaster films. Because in every disaster film, when shit hits the fan... People go nuts, you know. People are ra- ram raiding. People go feral, and everyone seems so sedate, like kind of, oh, this is happening. Or, you know, yeah, even the people who were meant to be feral as such were just so bored. Like, yeah, standing. I mean, they were on a bridge, and I thought, well, how long have you been standing on a bridge like that, sat on your motorbike? Yeah. Because not many people have been able to get down that road. At no, at no point. You, you go through... So they went through, I think, two army checkpoints. Mm. And considering this was a major disaster, not one policeman. Yeah. And it's also the fact that going back to Tom with his, you know, action, marine army background, there was just this one bit where he's trying to get past a, a roadblock. And he managed to pull out the, well, I, I understand what you're doing, sir. I, I've served myself. And it's just like, okay, you're pulling out the us vets should stick together card. Uh, this is not the time to be pulling that card out because it wouldn't fucking work. It's literally, they will say, there's a reason why this is closed off. I mean, they had 
the perfect thing there where, you know, they had an escaped convict. Surely that should have been a good reason. Yeah, there's a prison down there and we're pretty sure everyone's fucking escaped. So you don't want to go down that fucking road. Just just wait here. You know, loads of people had family on the other side of the country and, you know, they all probably would have turned back. It's just, you it's, know. It's, the whole thing was just shoddy. It was haphazard. It was like it was thrown up and thrown out in six weeks. There's just there was just no true thought in it, and to be honest, I don't think there is any way you could improve it. There is, it's, it's the the film itself was a dead premise. Yeah, There's I mean the thing there. is, it's this would have been a good side plot to a film. In all honesty, it this would have been what part a, of it. Well, a side plot. So it's like you have a major disaster. Oh, but this guy needs to go find his daughter. So you have that as the little paddling pool plot, you know, just to take action away from the. You know, when the action's getting too much, just to have this little side bit. Yeah. That would have worked. This did not make an entire film. It sure as hell did not make a two-hour film. If it's going to be a, a film, it could easily have just been condensed into an hour and 20 minutes. Mm. Enjoyable. Watched it. Thank you. Goodbye. Shut the door. Yeah. Burn the CD. Whatever you're watching it on. Mm. Right. It's just... Uh, this was unnecessary. And it was a waste of time. That's, that's the horrible thing. They wasted my goddamn time. So I guess, on that note, was it worth your time? No, I want it back. <laughs> I want a refund for my time right now. I don't think Netflix issues 0.0 pence <laughs> refunds for wasted time on their original content. Can we at least like get some you know, better content then? They're trying. Yeah, just less stuff like that, more good stuff. Well, let's see what else we end up reviewing, eh? Ah. Our next streaming content review will be The Package, a Netflix original starring Daniel Doheny and Sadie Calvano. Dylan! You son of a bitch! What's the matter? The CIA got you pushing too many pencils? This week's review rewind is the 1987 classic Predator starring Arnie, Carl Weathers and Jesse the Body Ventura. Woohoo! <laughs> The premise of the film is quite simple. Badass team goes into the jungle to go retrieve a dignitary. Realise not all is what it seems. Come face to face with a badass alien. All hell breaks loose. I mean, I could talk for hours about Arnie films and Arnie and everything to do with Arnie. And maybe some Carl Weathers. Um, but I won't. I'm going to talk about Predator. Where do we even start with this? It's fucking amazing. That's where we start with this. this. It's <laughs> Predator is one of those films where you don't really ever talk to anyone else about it. You kind of just watch it and you go, yeah, son of a bitch. Yeah. And you you riff and you quote. And it's, I mean, I don't know about Sam, but I've been finding it difficult to put it into words, all the emotions and the joy and the happiness and the characters and the, the film. It is just one of those yeah. films that you just look at it with like these gooey eyes and you're like, this is amazing. You turn it on and you found that, you know, oh, Predator's on again. I'll just put it on. And then you've watched it and then you re rewound it and watched it again. Mm. And, you know, you're happy, but you have no living memory of the film. That's Predator for me. Oh, for me, it's just, for a start, I'm a big fan of Jesse the Body Ventura, so... Someone needs to be. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> it's just his... Especially in this, it's like the... Ah, oh, you chew on this and you'll become a sexual tyrannosaurus. 
And only he could say that. Could you imagine Arnie saying that? I can, and it wouldn't be good. <laughs> I could, I could, I can see and hear him attempting to say that and coming out as yeah, yes. sexual tyrannosaurus. <laughs> I am a sexual tyrannosaurus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's just the film. It's it's one of the most quotable films. It is. I think. I think one of the things that I, I think we might struggle with or anyone struggles with when watching films of our youth is separating our, our joyful memories of the film and just watching it to understand whether or not it is actually a good film. You know what I was thinking about as while I was watching it? And, you know, you, you kind of take off your nostalgic glasses and you put them to one side. All right, I've got to look at this as if I'm coming into this fresh as a virgin. And, you know, it doesn't actually miss a beat. I mean, obviously you've got the beginning part where the whole bro-down goes down with the arm wrestle. The best bit. It's a bro-down. It's the best bit. It is one of the good bits, but it's not the best bit of the film if you look at it. No, not at all. The minute they hit the jungle, you've got this great tension. You've got really good action sequences as well. And there is something about the whole thing with the predator, the whole stalking. It's very well done not just because it's infrared and all that but there's genuine tension there it's like and the character building as well these guys are meatheads let's be honest about this there's they're not going to save the day they're there to fight and kill and then go home and fuck that's their whole thing but you do find yourself endeared to them because there is something in the writing that just gives you this you know this is a real person shit they've been dropped in this really bad situation that they shouldn't have been dropped into oh shit they're gonna fucking die (laughs) and it's been a long time since i've seen an action film especially recent times where you actually gave a shit about the characters oh it's incredibly rare to have a recent action film where you are literally that you know hoping that someone lives hoping that someone dies it's you only truly ever get that i think in the in the, the action films of the 80s and 90s. Yeah. And it's, you know, Arnie wasn't playing normal Arnie to me. Yeah, was... he wasn't. I think this was one of the few films where Arnie wasn't playing American Arnie. Yeah. He was allowed to be... Him. Yeah, he was just, I'm not American, but I can do this shit. Yeah. You know, he wasn't doing the whole Jean-Claude Van Damme thing, that, oh, no, I'm just from New Orleans. This is why I have an accent. <laughs> he was just... It doesn't matter where I fucking come from. I'm here to fucking fight this shit. Yeah, and you know they all had their personalities as well, and I think that's the key thing. They all had a memorable personality. You know, you've got the Jesse Body Ventura, the sexual tyrannosaurus who didn't have time to bleed. You've got Hawkins, who's the pussy joke man, and you know that character Hawkins should not have worked because his shtick was basically talking about his missus's vag in a really derogatory way and I think he was the first to go when he went he was like no where's the comic relief gone come on man he's the, the, he only told two jokes they weren't that bad <laughs> <laughs> someone had to go someone had to go and they just couldn't have the tokens go first because yeah, that, so, that's too obvious so yeah Token Pussy Man, gone. Token Pussy Man, Mr. Dirty Mouth. <laughs> and it's weird because the quiet one was one of the last ones to go. Billy, Mr. Just Stand There with a knife. 
against something you can't see because yeah. that's how you do it. Yeah, but he was one of the first ones to actually understand what was hunting them. Yeah. He was the one that was ignored. And so it, it was fitting that he kind of lasts a little bit longer. I think it would have been rude mm. to have this guy who's doing the warning and mm. going, you need to fucking listen to me. What's hunting us isn't a person. Yeah. And for them to go, oh, shut up. And then to have him just die. He's, I, he's there to, you know, poke a finger and go, I fucking told you so. And then you can kill him. Yes. But it's just like, he understood that, you know, it went after people with weapons and it went after men. He understood that. So he got rid of most of his weapons other than his big fucking knife. That Where's he going to hide that, though? <laughs> it's, well, he wasn't hiding it. He was over that kind of fucking bridge, wasn't he? He was just chucking away his guns and everything. This like, is what I mean, well, you know. Like, come on. Something. Come on. I just would have had more firepower if I was actually going to do the whole come on thing. Because even though I was going to lose, I'd like to think I'd at least make a dent in his fucking armour. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and that, sh- that fucker had projectiles, man. He didn't even need to get close to you. It's like, oh, look, you see these three dots? Pew! Yeah, you're fucking dead. <laughs> <laughs> Don't. I hate laser pointers. I blame that <laughs> film for it completely. <laughs> that and Resident Evil. I hate lasers. Oh, no, I just hate waffle shapes, thanks to fucking Resident Evil. (laughs) I think the film was stronger in its middle than Mm. it was at the beginning and the end. Um, I used to find the end really, really, really arduous. And watching it again, it's still, you know, take off those nostalgia glasses and you're kind of like, Arnold, what are you doing? I get, yeah, you found out body heat, yeah, you covered yourself in mud. Mm. But it was just all a little bit too theatrical. It was a bit too fucking ridiculous. Yeah, the whole self-destructive... Yeah. Like, if if you want to keep it real, you would have just covered yourself in fucking mud, mud and got to the fucking chopper. Yeah. You wouldn't have fucking stood on bits of fucking wood, mm. screaming, holding torches. Yeah. But that's what Arnold did in yeah. every single one of his films. Mm. If there wasn't a scene of him yelling, wielding something in the air, even down to kindergarten cop, <laughs> then, you know, it's not an Arnold film. Yeah, that's so true. It's really weird because Predator was one of the first films that actually the bad guy had an ethic. And it was quite a chivalrous ethic. He was an alien with an ethic. Which is even more fucked up. Indeed. You know, it it wouldn't go after women, it wouldn't go after the unarmed. And it was for sport, it wasn't out of hatred or anything like that, it was just, ah, fun time. The armor fud of fucking extraterrestrials, really. Yeah, I mean, the film was a good, you know, it had a good point to say, you know, we were at the top of the food chain for so long, what happens if we weren't? Yeah. What if we're the ones that are now hunted because actually there's a bigger force out there, bigger than us, Mm. who could get it done better? Yeah. I mean, it does turn out that someone would just take a fucking chain gun to a bunch of shrubbery. Oh, yeah. I mean, you would. You know it's out there somewhere. Yeah. And to Shoot be fair, it, it doesn't up. need to be like an alien for me to just start firing up a chain gun, to be fair. I'll keep all the chain guns away from you. Hey. <laughs> Bring it away, I promise. <laughs> um, but no, this this film is just one of those things that you literally just sit down, you click on, and you're like, let's do this. Yeah, you do get fully immersed in the film. It's not one of those films where you can kind of... You find yourself getting up, going, oh, maybe I'm just going to get a drink, and then you don't get back to the screen. You are there. And I I took the liberty a few years ago to go and see it Mm. in the cinema. And if you ever get the chance, go and see it in the cinema. It is 
a thousand times better. Mm, it, totally. A lot of it works a lot more. Yeah. Um, so all of those people who got to see it in the cinema when it came out, I am insanely jealous of all of you. <laughs> it's, uh, no, it is one of those films that you just have to immerse yourself in. I found myself holding the key in because I didn't want to leave the screen. Yeah, turn it. it's one of those films you have to turn it up, turn it up loud, put it on the biggest screen you've got, and have keep, it in HD, yeah. do what you need. And keep the razors away from your face. <laughs> <laughs> but wow. the whole point of the Review Rewind is to see if it deserved the praise, the kicking, the meh it got when it first came out. Predator got 45% on Metacritic. It was very much a fence film when it came out. I could, I can understand that. Mm. I can. Un- was it 1987? It came out. So there's a lot of similar films. Mm. Not similar films with aliens, but similar actiony films starring Arnold, starring Sylvester Stallone, Jean Claude Van Damme, Steven Seagal. Lots of saturation. So I can understand why. Maybe depending on when it finally came out, how bored people were of seeing that kind of film. Mm. I do think. I mean, I remember seeing one review looking back at this saying I don't get why this film needed to be made and it's that was a bit too harsh even for an action film there was a bit of thought put into the writing it was you know looking back it was a fucking good premise you know something that we can't see is hunting us and we actually have to use our brains in order to defeat it because brawn on its own doesn't fucking work and I don't think a lot of action films had that at the time but at the same time, it was an oversaturated market as well. So, again, it's the E.T. syndrome. You know, any alien films that came out around E.T. just instantly got shat on because it wasn't E.T. I think this film got shat on because it was just an overcrowded plate for... Um, it wasn't films. particularly family-friendly because that was, it was a big surgence of family-friendly films around the same time mm, as well. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's an adult film... Where our it is, although I could probably say that me and Sam probably watched it when we were too young. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think that the review that it got back then did it justice. I think I can understand why. Mm. I think now, if it was to go out there, it would probably get a little bit higher. Yeah. I, I mean, personally, I'd probably give it about a 70 yeah. There's some areas where it was really, really poor. Like we said a bit before, the beginning and the end, mm. it dragged a little bit. The middle section was mm. strong. Yeah. Um, so 70, I think, would probably mm. be a fair assessment, mm. especially as we're still getting oversaturated with action films. Yeah. And it's also, like you said about the beginning and the end, I think the problem is, especially now, is those are the ones that have dated more. Mm. I mean, like the bro down it's just like you couldn't get who away does with that yeah it's you couldn't get away with that now and the ending was a bit too kind of not even showboaty it was just so meh it was just a bit unnecessary i mean it was it's an iconic ending yeah but it's like yeah you you won and now you're like flexing your muscles what would have been good is if like he'd actually said fuck me that was a bit hard wasn't it Let's go and have a beer. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> maybe I should get to that chopper now. Yeah, I need a nap. Yeah, I think there's a lot of showboating, but I think the film, the premise of the film was showboating. It was showcasing the, the Marine, I suppose, or the Army guy 
the expectation where people think, you know, these are jugheads who mm. just fight. Mm. And all all of them are flexing amongst each other. They all have these weird flexy bits, or, you know, pussy, 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 or <laughs> sexual Tyrannosaurus, or shaving my face constantly, <laughs> um, shooting air. It's They, they had that, mm. um, and people, you know, they were up against, what, Rambo, who was mm. man in tree... Yeah. Man in ground, one man deaf, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, you know it's it's just. I guess I'm losing track of where I'm going, but it's it's two co- sides of the same coin. Mm. You know, Rambo was looking at someone who's suffering, yeah, and these guys are physically suffering, but they've got their egos to contend with. Mm. Totally, and they're getting their asses kicked, which isn't too exactly because they're all ego, and it took for them to remove the ego and I find it ironic at the end where Arnold's all ego because he's mm. supposedly defeated them yeah I mean we all know subsequently that isn't the case yeah it's also the fact that he technically didn't defeat it no it defeated its fucking self he had enough <laughs> well it's the basically it's the honour mm. thing ah you got me I'm wounded I ain't getting up you know what I'll, I'll just yes. be myself it's fine um, yeah you're going to want to run now um, get to the chopper. Okay. Yep. How many times have we said chopper now? I'm trying to get up to a hundred. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's. I think the reviews it got was fucking unfair. You know, yeah, it was an action film. Yeah, it was. You didn't need a degree to understand it. But you know what? It's fucking good fun, and that's that's what you need in a film. You need it to be fun and just something that you could just say, yeah, that's fucking good. That was. Films are meant to be fun, if not thought-provoking. And to a degree, it's kind of both. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to fuck with that alien. That's that's my thought. Well, I'm not going into any fucking jungle at all, so you're all right. And I've, you know, I've stuck to that. I've not gone into a jungle. So, Predator. All good? All good. It did not deserve what it got. Oh, what's in the box? What's in the fucking box? For our randomly picked review rewind next week, Jill, shake that booty, babe. Ding! Ooh. Uh, we're going to be re-watching Roxanne from 1987, nice. starring Daryl Hannah and Steve Martin. Nice. Uh, we did good this time. And that brings us to the end of the first episode of Instant Junk. I'm Sam. And I'm Jill. See you later. <laughs>